Hello, everybody. It's up in our headphones, Charles. Turning it up. <laughs> hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. <laughs> yes, we say the plural friends again because we have the honor, nay, the privilege to be joined today with author Nicholas Eames, who has written the band series, which includes Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose. The third book is coming out Soon, soon. We won't put a hard date on that. And, uh, you know, he's gotten the honor of multiple Stabby Awards, and he's been optioning the film rights to this series, if I'm not mistaken, and just a lot of exciting energy around the band series. And we had the enjoyment of being able to talk about the series a, a little while ago, and we we're just super, super thrilled to have Nick on. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an honor. And yeah, thank you again for that uh, that really, really nice review you gave of the book a few weeks back. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we were so thrilled because we released the episode and then you were like, you know, I don't, I paraphrase here, but something like, something along <laughs> the lines so of kind. podcast ever. Yeah. <laughs> something <laughs> along the lines of greatest podcast <laughs> ever, and best yeah. analysis of the Kings of the Wild you ever heard, something along those lines. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, sometimes I put like things like with my reviews or something of the book on while I'm doing dishes or something. And I recall listening to this one being like, oh, wow, yeah, I guess... <laughs> I guess that character is pretty deep. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> sure. Well, we appreciate hey, you that greatly. You wrote them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's the thing too, because we I had read like in the back of the copy that I had, there was like an interview with like you had given some insight into the process, and you had mentioned like, yeah, I tried not to take it too seriously, this, that, and the other, and Don and I were kind of like pushing back. We were like, yeah, I mean, it's fun and it's silly, but you know, these characters are fascinating and the whole premise of the book as everyone knows is like such a great hook and we we feel honored that we were able to bring some of that like that that fine balance in and i guess that's one of the first questions we wanted to ask you right out of the gate is like how do you how do you with kings of the wild and the band series how do you balance that idea of humor while also making the characters authentic and then you have this hook of like they're all like rock and roll bands kind of influence and then there's <laughs> these huge monsters there's erectile dysfunction jokes but how do you how do you balance all of that to to create like a story that's ultimately like character driven uh well the answer is that i don't balance it that well then my editor <laughs> helped me balance it i always push it a little bit over the top um but yeah, I think it's because I like I spent a long time trying to write a book that was super serious and super, you know, melodramatic and mm-hmm. had its sad moments. My favorite author of all time is this is Guy Gabriel Kay. I'm not sure if you ever read yeah. him before, but mm-hmm. he obviously writes him. very poignant books. And so I was trying for years to kind of copy him and failing miserably. Um, and so mm-hmm. it was more like when I tried to write a book that was a bit more honest to my own voice. Um, yeah. that it came out the way it did. And I think I tried at the beginning, at least, to make it the opposite of everything I'd been doing for the last 10 years. Huh. Uh, you know, so if you'd, if you'd have told me 
or even like say my late like 30s or early 30s i should say my late my late 30s weren't that long ago <laughs> um, but my early 30s mm-hmm. like if you told me uh, this book oh here's this book it's great it's got it's got goblins in it i've been like no 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 i'm not uh what am i 18 years old like i don't read books with goblins in them thank you very much right. i'm a grown-ass <laughs> man right <laughs> by then i was kind of weaned on books like um you know, Game of Thrones or sure. Joe Bacombi, mm. who they may have their odd, yeah. odd like fantasy element, but otherwise they're pretty like down to earth. They're all humans, you know, humans on humans, as it were. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, originally, yeah, I tried to just like kitchen sink it, like anything that was goofy, funny, over the top. <laughs> um, and then there was a, there was a few scenes in there that end up they got snipped, whether they got taken out entirely by my agent or my editor, or else just curtailed. Um, to be a bit more like the mm. the, the erection scene where everyone there's a scene where everyone fights with with erections. <laughs> and, mm. um, that scene, like my my <laughs> agent originally wanted it taken out, and I was like, sure. Like this is our first conversation. I was like, sure, it's gone. Whatever you want. Uh, but all my friends were like, you got to keep it in. You got to keep it in. And so I ended up just kind of changing some of the language a bit. Um, <laughs> took out mm. the word like gestating things like that. Um, <laughs> amazing what a couple descriptive adjectives can do to change a scene so yeah i mean that kind of fought for some of the goofy stuff Mm. too but i can imagine yeah yeah, because your your, this book was published like on the heels of a huge trend in fantasy with the likes of game of thrones and then this huge like grimdark boom that we've seen following that and one of the things i was very curious about was like you had that initial reaction like goblins no thank you Mm. i how what was that like getting a book with goblins and stuff in it published i'm sure you must have tried to reach out to agents and editors like did they have similar initial reactions yeah, they did. There was um, there was a lot of pushback, and I feel extremely lucky that I ended up finding the agent that I did, and, and then especially the editor that I did, just because, you know, especially for me who had been trying to write for so long, you know, I was pretty desperate to, you know, I would have jumped in mm-hmm. an, an agent, right. really, kind of. Yeah. I say that though, but there was an agent that was like had me on the hook, a really really good agent that I submitted my first book to, and he said, uh, you know, this is not quite what I'm looking for, but sending me whatever you write next. So. I sent him Kings of the Wild before anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember this one morning, I woke up to an email that said, I'm not saying uh, yes, but I'm not saying no. Are you willing to work with me on this? And I was like, this is a yes. <laughs> oh my God, I've got an agent. So we went back and forth and, and, and he actually wanted a lot of changes. And there's some of the changes stuck around and ultimately he did make the book way, way, way better. Mm-hmm. But his vision and my vision wasn't quite the same for it. Uh, but there was a lot of characters like Calorek, um, for instance, their manager of the band was an orc. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more fantasy creatures in it. And he wanted that toned down a bit. So he would change to a human. His nickname was the orc. Yeah. Um, and there was other things like he wanted, he wanted Moog's name changed because he, he was the mm-hmm. kind of person that he was, he was a bit older than me. He got every single music reference <laughs> there was mm-hmm. every one of them. And he thought it was way too many which is understandable from his perspective. Mm. Uh, but he wanted like Slowhand gone, like plays nickname Slowhand. Mm. It's, it's an Eric Clapton album yeah. and Eric Clapton's nickname. And I tried to explain, I was like, I, I cannot assure you enough that nobody under the age of 40 in America has any fucking idea what <laughs> Slowhand is. Nobody. <laughs> and he said, that's not true. Everyone knows this. Um, <laughs> things like that. And so um, I ended up saying, can I choose, can I keep one of them? And he's like, okay. So I chose 
what did I choose? I kept Moog and I took slow hand yeah. out of it. Um, and then after a few months though, we just had a little bit too many um, disagreements and eventually he was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this. So I was pretty crushed, wow. but wow. by then the book was in a better spot and I ended up like, you know, taking all his advice, like things like the airships were before he got a hold of it were uh, more like airplanes. Like they had propellers huh. and engines and um, Larkspur's wow. ship was like a B-52 bomber kind of thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so it was like because of him that I developed things like the tidal engines and and even the Druins. Like before that, I just had like a Roman type empire in there. And so he he did make me make a lot of positive changes. But mm -hmm. uh, so I'm definitely mm -hmm. grateful for his advice. But in the end, yeah, we went our separate ways. And I mean, and moving the book a little bit back towards where it was before, obviously. Wow. So how much time went from when you first started emailing out Kings of the Wild till it was ready for publication? How much of a refinement process was it because it sounds like it was quite extensive uh well, well actually it wasn't that long only because i was like i worked my ass off on it like mm. you know you're so excited to to have this suddenly this your foot in the door maybe or see a crack mm. of light um and so i think maybe say i finished it in like february or march of whatever year it was i think it was 2015 or something and maybe he went Maybe about the summertime, I think I maybe send it to him. And we went back for forth for a few months. Um, and so when I sent it out to agents again, it was probably another six months before I started getting some rejections from agents. And then um, I, there, I've, I've told the story a million times before. Have you ever heard about Sebastian DeCastell and how he kind of helped me get a... Yes, yes. You were working yeah. at the restaurant and he yeah. was uh, he was uh, a guest there, <laughs> a diner. <laughs> By then, he kind of helped me put, put me in touch with his agent. Um, Which is such so a I, great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I sent it to her and then she ended up getting back to me. And with her, like she got back to me around July and we decided that, she, yes, she was going to take it. And then we worked on it for the entire summer. Um, and then around September, we started submitting mm -hmm. it. And by like late December, early January, we had like two different offers on it. The one was from Orbit. So wow. that's great. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of the ex, like success that got the book where it was, was you really had to advocate for what you believed in, in this story. And you had to like have the balls to approach Sebastian de Castell as a waiter. And he's, a, and he's a <laughs> diner to just like to, to fan out and like to talk about your book and stuff like that. Like, did you feel a lot of that? Did you really feel like, wow, this is like, this, I'm really kind of nervous right now, but I, I believe in the story and I really got to like get it out there. Like how much like, did you have to kind of get out of your comfort zone to, to hustle for this book? Um, well, not, not too, too much. I mean, I didn't try to like, when I say I talked to Sebastian de Castell, like I saw his name on the reservation list. I knew he lived in, mm. lived in Vancouver. So, um, I just approached him and shot the shit and I was like, oh, I'm writing the book. And he was super gracious, obviously. Mm. Oh, great. One of these. Guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he was super nice about it. And, uh, and then when I saw him again, I saw him again at a writer's festival and he remembered who I was and he asked how the book was coming. And, um, and I think when I told him about that agent, because that agent was such a big agent, he realized that, okay, maybe this, this book, obviously, like if it was that close to getting picked up by the agent, maybe it's just not the right book for that agent. So, right. Hmm. But honestly, it's just like, it's just something that you, I think a lot of people, I mean, and it's funny to say, but a lot of just like white dudes, um, like <laughs> they feel that they, not that I say like I felt entitled, but I think white dudes a lot more than say like women or people of color. Uh, yeah. are willing to go you know think that they're they should work like 
like, you know, ask for things from the world themselves. And at the time I had a girlfriend who was a, a person of color and she was like, you fucking do this because you've got the privilege <laughs> to do it. So like, don't fucking squander this. Like, you don't know what it's like for someone who's not like you. So, mm. uh, and so yeah. like, I know Sebastian does this as well. Um, he always tries to encourage, you know, people that are, aren't, you know, just like middle-aged straight white dudes to advocate for themselves more than they should. Like you always should, should take that chance. Mm you know, reach out to people and just ask for opportunity, ask the world for opportunities because it doesn't always, you know, hand them to you. Yeah, true. it's great to use your position to try to empower folks who wouldn't feel that same, I guess, natural inclination to always advocate for themselves. So yeah. That's great that you and Sebastian are focusing yeah. on that. And you don't always think it's, it's unconscious. And obviously if she hadn't brought it to yeah. my I might not have ever realized it, but um, but then there's also things I remember when it was, I think I'd finished the book and maybe it was out, but, um, the guy who plays like Abed from community, you guys ever watched community? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Danny Pudi is, is a uh, huge yeah, community fan. I'm obsessed with community. I've watched <laughs> I through it. it many times. Oh yeah. It's so You just funny, opened the Han. floodgates. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us all about community. Yeah. I want well, to hear your one I worked at in Vancouver had a lot of like famous people coming into it all the time. And one day, uh, Abed was sitting at the bar and, <laughs> And I think because I was the only cool person that worked there, I was like, you guys know who this is? Like, no one else knew who it was. Every time someone that, like, from a really good TV show, like from someone from Serenity would come in or someone from Battlestar Galactica, and I would be yeah. like, we got to buy this person's meal. They're getting free dessert. And people were like, who is this? And I'm like, it's fucking Kaylee from Serenity. It's um, but yeah, um, Abed was in there. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't recall his real name. Danny Pudi. Danny Pudi, I believe. Yes. Um, but he was in there and... Uh, and I would never have said anything to him about my book, but of course my coworkers like, oh, this Nick's writing a fantasy book. It's about this, and he's like, he's like, oh, what's your book about? Oh, who was he reading at the time? I think he was reading Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And he was super nice and great. He was like, what's your book about? And I told him what the idea was. He's like, that's a really good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's awesome. Oh. I love the idea of Danny Pudi reading Kings of the Wild. Nick, please tell me he gave you some indication that he was going to go pick up a copy. Well, I think it was interactions like that, that when I told people what the basic idea was, seeing people's kind of face lit up, as opposed to like my book before that, which was like, oh, it's about a prince and he's got revenge on his brother and blah, 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 blah. And people's eyes just kind of glaze over. Right. Uh, when you tell people the hook yeah. of Kings of the Wild, they almost always kind of perk up. That that was, I mean, that was my thing right away. I can't tell you how many people have recommended Kings of the Wild to me for years and years because they knew I was a, like anyone that knows me yeah. knows I'm a fantasy fan and they know that I am a music fan as well. And so everyone's yeah. like, God, read Kings of the Wild. It's like mercenaries that are like rock bands. And I was like, yes, I should read that book. And uh, it finally crossed our desk uh, a few weeks ago. And it was, yeah, it's such a fantastic hook. It's one of those ideas that's like, it just clicks and it, it, it's interesting in that for me when I see that a like a fantasy book is is funny like is a comedy kind of book I get mm. a little bit nervous sometimes yeah. just like some yeah. people hear that oh it's yeah. got orcs in it and elven princesses or whatever and you like get a little nervous yeah. but um, just the way that modern fantasy is going and, and embracing a lot of these trends but keeping it grounded in like good character work and having a little more modern sense of humor like it, it just zings and i'm like i need more of this <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Well, thankfully, yeah, there, you're, you're, we are seeing a lot more like humorous fantasy kind of hit the shelves mm -hmm. um, yeah. or even not the shelves, but like, um, have you guys read Orconomics or heard of Orconomics by Zachary? We know. Yeah, that Spiffbo winner, right? Yeah, yeah, we've heard so much about it and definitely heard comparisons to it's Kings so of the Wild with its yeah. humor. Here we got to check it out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's funnier than Kings of the Wild. It, it uh, of course you'd say that too yeah. humble <laughs> well i mean kings of the wild is more dramatic obviously but, uh, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it, i think it melds really well it melds that like you know you when something happens bad to happen to its characters you feel really bad for them so it's not mm. complete satire mm -hmm. um but oh my god it's they're genius they're great i, I listen to them on audiobooks that and the sequel the sequel is even better wow wow that yeah that one's on our short list for sure because that's another one that's you know, we we like to ask for recommendations all the time on the show and like things like Kings of the Wild and Orconomics get brought up enough times that we're like, okay, put these on the short list to read on the show. <laughs> so that one we've been eyeing for quite a while. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that trend and, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for it too. It's uh, the other, I mean like the, the music angle too is one that mm. is obviously super fascinating to me. I wore my Van Halen 2007. Yeah, uh, yeah. I saw yeah. them at Madison Square Garden. I wore this just for you, Nick. <laughs> and, um, <Nice. laughs> and, and he's got his guitar in the background too. He's really showing oh, off it, for is you, that Nick. back there? Oh, how <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> how did that get there? <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised he didn't play something for you. <laughs> I've been working yeah. on this song. If you guys want to hear it no <laughs> but uh it's a fascinating trend and one of the like the silly questions that i wanted to ask you is what was your what was your first concert oh mm -hmm. my it's a great answer actually my first concert was rod stewart oh um, and, wow and believe it or not like i'm actually too young to be a no rod stewart fan <laughs> right you know in you know mm -hmm. generally speaking but my mom was yeah. a huge rod stewart fan there's uh there's um you know there's Rod Stewart records all over my house when I was like a kid and I saw someone once make a reference to like Rod Stewart like I fucking your mom from the from album covers and I was like oh my god that's what he was doing all those years of my life mm. he's always looking so sultry on those covers um, but I when I was younger I was a teenager I think I was going through some like you know college era love and loss and things like that and feeling yeah. bad for myself and i put a rod stewart record on for i don't know what reason and <laughs> i was like this song i'm like yeah rod the first cut is the deepest like holy healing. yeah i was like this is really hard this is you, you know what i'm going through rod. I'm to you nick song. Hey, the song was just like this is insane uh, oh, i love it rod stewart fan and whatever i was i don't know how it this started happening but whether I was back when I used to get haircuts, if I was getting a haircut or in the grocery store or about to travel somewhere, Rod Stewart would come on randomly. And I developed this thing as the, the least superstitious person that has ever existed on planet Earth, <laughs> that whenever you hear a Rod Stewart song, you're in the right place at the right time. Oh, nice. Ah. I know how it came Can't out. Wait to live. Why it happened. It happened originally because I had woken up on this day and things were, I was in a, like a rough time in my life and I had like missed my, slept through my alarm missed like three buses on the way to work i was hopelessly late for work and i was sitting at this bus stop and there was this man this disheveled man sitting next to me with a giant bouquet of roses and he was whistling a rod stewart song and i was like you know what i'm glad i slept through my alarm and missed all three of those buses and, like, <laughs> this guy, like, you know whatever wherever he's going with those bat bouquet of roses whatever his hopes are he's whistling rod stewart to get him through to that moment 
Uh, yeah. Wow, Rod Stewart coming in. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I love him and every I still love him. We still have a whole family. It's ascribes to the if you hear Rod Stewart, you can't like put him on yourself. It's cheating. But if he just comes right. on, mm. you oh, can't for, you can't force the moment. No. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, Rod Stewart has to come into your life. Exactly. Exactly. I was in the airport waiting lounge waiting to come home to visit my family. And heard Rod Stewart, and I'm like, oh, things, good things are going to happen at home. And <laughs> two days after I got home, I got a call. I got the email from my agent saying I want to represent you. So that's wow. awesome. It's thank uh, you, Rod Stewart. <laughs> yes, yeah. our ears are going to be perked listening for Rod Stewart everywhere we go from here on out. Nick, thanks to you. Yeah. So. But this, so this concert was just me, my brother, my friend. I think my my girlfriend bought us tickets at the time, and then. And then about 30,000, uh, you know, middle-aged women nice. wailing at the top of their lungs. Nice. Yes. Mm. Rod we Stewart. The people there. Romancing all of our moms, inspiring, inspiring the Eames family. Like, what can't yeah. the guy do? <laughs> Dylan, what was your first concert? I don't think I know this answer. Santana. Yeah. I, your first concert was which, Santana. Yeah. So was mine. I was, so, <laughs> what? Yes. My parents, really? my parents took me to see Santana when I was really too young. And I just remember sitting there being like, is this like, maybe we went to the same show. Probably went <laughs> no. to the same show. <laughs> I, how did we not know this about each other? I don't know. So Charles and I have known each other for, I mean, over decades years. at this point. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Somehow Santa, it was on what Long was Island. Yeah, I saw it at um, Jones Beach. Yeah, we probably we too. probably went to the same that show. Would be Our parents nice. couldn't get babysitters and brought us. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wow. just remember yeah. like people shouting at each other, and like I don't remember the music too much. I was too young. I just remember being like, "Who are these Me weird too. people? What are these weird smells?" <laughs> it's oh, that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, just generally loud. I mean, I remember a sense of enjoyment from it but i i don't think i could really process what was happening <laughs> yeah yeah. Cool. yeah yeah that was that's funny and then but we went to see um motley crew and aerosmith and that aerosmith. was like when we went together to go and listen and that was yeah fun. yeah that's great <laughs> yeah i was a huge like band geek in high school so I dragged anyone I could to all the shows whenever possible. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I don't, I've never lived somewhere where you could see concerts like that, like pretty easily, mm. except maybe Ottawa mm. a little bit, but Vancouver. But by then I was, there's no good rock bands touring too often. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. We were fortunate to be in, you know, between the stadiums on Long Island and then being a train ride to Manhattan, we could see pretty much anything. Yeah. But oh, it got yeah. kind of expensive. I mean, some of these acts want like, hundreds oh, of bet. dollars you're like what get out of here but that's awesome <laughs> do you play any music nick or are you just a, a a fan yeah just a fan and even yeah i don't play anything at all if you could like wake up tomorrow and be proficient in one instrument which would it be mm. uh that's a tricky question good question um <laughs> probably the guitar yeah i mean that's yeah, you that's know. the cool one, right? Yeah. Right. Well, the piano is an elegant weapon, but the guitar is a weapon instrument. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Potentially a weapon in the next book. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing's the wild elegant, mix, yeah. right? Yeah. Calling it an axe is a right. <laughs> the whole thing is uh, still flowing through your head there, Nick. Those creative but juices. Flowing. Yeah. And I yeah. can't say I ever imagine myself playing a piano during a song, but I definitely try to. I imagine myself playing it. Yeah. A in a while. Sure, sure. Being the, the crooner. <laughs> That's awesome. So, 
Oh, I guess we should talk more about Kings of the Wild. Um, one of the things that's exciting to me is that, like, the pinned tweet on your on your Twitter uh, profile is that it's been optioned for film. And I'm sure you can't share too many details, but I was wondering what that process has been like, if there's any lessons yeah. that you've learned that you could share about the process. And who knows, maybe we can be expecting something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the what I'd heard, I think what I'd heard before that, what I what you hear about publishing is pretty much always true. Like before I got into it, people are like, oh, only 5% of authors like can make a living. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's true. Um, and then same with optioning, you hear about like 95% of the time, nothing, nothing comes of it, probably even more mm. than that. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah. yeah, so it, it's been optioned and there's people that are like shopping it around and they have definitely hit some like favorable things so mm -hmm. it's in a kind of a stage now where people are looking at like anyone who liked it the first time um it's narrowed down to the people who are looking at it for the second time and that's nice. exciting you know it's not something i like really think about because I'm, I'm after so many years of you know sending out uh you know query letters and getting rejected you're you kind of get used to like keeping your yeah patients at a at a medium place. to it right yeah right. so I really don't think about it when it's not like coming at me, mm -hmm. but I mean, it would be super cool. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that it something yeah. would happen only because like, you know, ex whether the execution pays off for people or not, the idea is a cool one. Like, absolutely. It's so cool. cool. You know, like I'm, I feel lucky to have thought of it, but it's anyone could have before me. <laughs> and it's just a neat idea. So like you could, you don't even have to, tell the same story I did just make a show where rock bands or, or mercenary bands treat like rock stars and you got to yeah of a good show you know? uh, I yeah I mean it feels in retrospect it's easy to say oh anyone could have thought of this but it it also seems so uniquely and truly you and it sounds like uh, when you moved away from trying to be Guy Gabriel K, which like only Guy Gabriel K can be Guy That's Gabriel That's a tough K. one to I'm try to emulate, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, <laughs> so, I mean, and we've talked about his work so on the on the show before, both yeah. big fans of Tigana and, uh, and Charles, huge fan of Lions of Hours. No, Under Heaven. Under, uh, Heaven. Under Heaven. Mm, Under yeah. Heaven. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, uh, I haven't read that one yet. But anyway, point being, we moved away from trying to replicate that and became you just write like using your natural humor and uh writing about things you care about like music and using it as an analogy i don't know it, it's i think those are the books i tend to most enjoy and why i feel like i love kings of, besides the obvious reasons why i love yeah. kings of the wild is this like it just feels like your voice comes through and even like talking to you now or watching other interviews from you. It's like, you can just tell that's the person who wrote this book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously and like, like it, it, everything worked out in like a, you know, in a way like with whether it's like the humor of the book and sticking to the musical references and things like that. Cause it could have been done with like a lighter touch, maybe even too, you know, like mm -hmm. just use the terminology and then not, you know, put references or anything like that in there. And yeah. And but at the same time, it could have been a different book if a different editor had gotten hold of it too. And I could have been the same author. But when I had the two offers on it, one of them was straight, one of the music references gone, was looking for more like mm. a Crombie, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm very lucky that I found someone that was okay with like making it what it is, letting it be what it is. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think we can all agree that no matter what happens, TV show film uh, uh, 
uh, you know, web series, whatever it is, it's going to need a nice music licensing budget. Like that's yeah. priority no, number we'll one. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, be amazing. Because yeah, we're, we're, so we're going to teams. pull on some of the big boys here for this. So, <laughs> yes, I know. I think I've, I mean, I've, I've talked to the people about it and I was like, you, it's, it's such a major part of it that it'd be crazy not to have those songs. Right. I, I've always thought you could probably get away with like, if you get a good song for the opening credits, a good song for the closing credits, mm -hmm. if, you, if you, at the very bare minimum, if you could license one song on an episode, you could probably make it work. Right. You know? Yeah. The more, the merrier, but you can yeah. make it I work. I mean, what's good about the concept you, is the possibilities are endless. You can make of it what you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you've already got a playlist for them, Nick. You yeah. did the heavy lifting yeah. already. I mean, what are they waiting for? <laughs> Yeah, here's the short list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love the playlist, by the way. It's uh, oh, I, I tried to make one in honor. You took all the good ones, though. So I was trying to say, <laughs> I'm going to make one that just uh, complements it. <laughs> yeah, well, some people have made made playlists, and some of them are absolutely excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, there, there's so many fun things to draw on to add to create a playlist. So it doesn't surprise me at all that all those things yeah. are in there. But, and it's tough to put mm. out songs too, you know. Like obviously, there's so many songs that would mm -hmm. be great to be on. Yeah. yeah, the possibilities are endless. So I'm looking forward to that when it eventually happens. And we know you're a huge, um, a huge gamer as well. And I always thought Kings mm. of the Wild would be a great, almost like, almost like a beat 'em up, but nothing too generic, right? Because you can like swap through the cast members and just kill a bunch yeah. of things. And there's cool music playing. Have you thought about? Like potential, mm. I know you don't want to put anything out there too concretely in the world about what it could look like, but since you're such a big video game enthusiast, yeah. like have there been multiple different kinds of genres you'd want to see Kings of the Wild go in? Um, I think for me, the one that I would probably like to see it in the most is kind of like the one that's been used for like D&D &D type games, which is like the top-down mm -hmm. asymmetric. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of when you, you run around like Baldur's Gate and then it's turn based once you get into it. I think mm. you know, that lends itself to like you can do have voice acting, you have lots of reading, you can put all the you know pithy and funny characters in there. And I think it let that kind of stuff lends itself well to like a D D type setting. And I love that kind of game. So it'd be it would be pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. I could see it almost like you know, Final Fantasy VII remake where you can work to I don't know if you played that. I know you're a huge oh, yeah, Final oh, yeah, Fantasy yeah, fan yeah. like my myself. Um yeah. I, but yeah, how you can kind of rotate which character you are. That'd and... be pretty wild if it had that sort of budget. That'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if it, it does. If, it gets, if it gets picked up as a TV show or a movie or something like that, then the, you know, there's probably a lot more possibility of the game happening. Right. For sure, like like uh, the route of The Witcher, or it's just a multimedia phenomenon. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're. Yeah. That's I'm sure Sapkowski never would have imagined those stories turning into what they ended up turning. I mean, into. it's like what so 20, 30 years wanna, later. Like, yeah, you know, I mean. It, it, I feel like the sky's the limit and Kings of the Wild, it, it, it's kind yeah. of, yeah, like such yeah. a good hook, such a good story to back it up. Uh, you're such a funny, relatable guy. I mean, I, I don't know. I do think the sky's the limit. Yeah, I think even if this, you know, if the option thing doesn't happen, it falls through now, then you never know it could, you know, someone at any time, someone could be like, okay, well, this is a pretty good idea, hopefully. So, yeah, we shall see. But the people who have it, they have been really great about letting me have like a voice on you know, when they when they go to write their pitch, like they let me uh, 
pretty much write it like or like make changes whatever changes i wanted to it and oh, they nice. all of them like, mm. yeah. that's great that's good to hear because sometimes you wonder like how much voice the author gets once it's handed off to another medium so it's good to hear that you're like collaborating yeah. and it's going well I think. yeah it probably depends on who gets it and also whether the author is like one of those people that's like you got to make it just like the book you know mm. which mm. When, when they come run into that they're probably like well let's cut this guy right out because he's an idiot. <laughs> right. um, because you have to realize like, as someone who love i love movies and i love tv shows and it's like i know damn well that you don't put the same story in a book exactly mm. into a tv show it doesn't like function so yeah to me like mm. the characters are important and then the story is you you make it work for tv i'd I, love to have yeah i think TV that's TV. a great yeah. perspective as someone who's just read a lot of books and watched a lot of movies i can't mm. i have to agree yeah. it reminds me of what like i think it was brandon sanderson because he's going through a similar option thing mm. as well and he said something like, yeah, when I'm writing the screenplay for Mistborn, I'm kind of taking the story and throwing it out the window and starting over from yeah. scratch and yeah. knowing that that story exists, but hitting it, the story at different moments and basically building, rebuilding it from the ground up. And I always thought that that approach mm -hmm. was very smart and very insightful because it's two different mediums completely to try and cram everything from Mistborn and make a faithful adaptation. It would yeah, exactly, it's too right. tricky. So. Yeah. So I mean, it, yeah, I think a lot of fans do understand that. And, and I think it makes it easier for you as a writer to understand that going in just because you won't be, you won't feel that they're, you know, you know, taking your vision and distorting it. So, right. Distorting yeah. itself first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it must take a lot of acceptance to be able to like hand off your baby like that to um, someone else. So it's good to know. That, yeah. yeah, and at the same time, it's just like you know, if 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 it got made into a show or something like that, it would be like aside from like say any money you would get from that, you're just your book sales would go up, and it would just take a lot of your life's worries away. So you know, ultimately, worst comes to worst, just you know, you just got to accept that your your book sales would go up, and you can make money doing that. If the TV show turned out to be a disaster or something like that, you'd be like, oh, well. <laughs> That's very Abercrombian of you. I mean, he's one of your influences. He's always like, he's like, I would love an incredible adaptation of the first law, but I'll settle for a lucrative but bad <laughs> adaptation of the first yeah. law. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's only so much you can, you only so much influence you have, you know, like, I, I don't even like, choose my own book covers so why would i get to choose you know like wow. right i know gorgeous though it went pretty well <laughs> yeah it went really well okay. yeah yeah we've listened to you praise like the book cover artist in other interviews and i just think that's so awesome and it, it's part of this trend that i've seen of just the fantasy genre stepping up its game in terms of book covers like mm. we just also saw The Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn, and I'm, we're obsessed yeah, yeah, with that book cover as well. Incredible. Like, I find myself trying to pull like, the covers without all the text on it and, and, and using those for creative stuff, like screen backgrounds and things like that. And yeah, so you, you really, that just kind of came together for you. I know that you had admired that artist for a long time, but it sounds like you yeah, really I didn't have it. too much hand in making it happen. No, I mean, I, my, I think I had put like a couple days before I got the call about getting an editor, like having an offer, uh, I had put a couple book covers up on my Instagram that were both done by Richard Anderson that I just happened to buy at the bookstore. Um, and mm -hmm. I think my editor had seen that 
And because at the time we were negotiating over the title, like the book's original title was just banned. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they suggested a million other titles. And I was like, no, 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 no. Even though I knew I was going to have to pick something else besides the band because they were not having it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, she like she knew that I was going to have to lose on that title front. Right. So she was like, went above and beyond. Everyone there went above and beyond in orbit to like get Richard Anderson and get me a cover because I'm also very picky about fantasy covers. You know, like I, there's yeah. so many. I so judge books by their covers, and there's so many fantasy covers that mm. I don't like and styles that I don't like. I was so worried, especially when I at the time when I was like. The title's not going to be one I choose. The cover's probably going to suck. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly, like, Kings of the Wild got suggested, and all my friends and family and I love that one. And then Richard Anderson happened. So I, re I really, really, really lucked out. Nice. Yeah, because we often gripe about book titles and book covers and fantasy <laughs> genre as well. But, no, we, like, everything about the way you had set the book up it, it, the hooks are all there so well done <laughs> and yes. you know we we, ha we have a lot to be jealous of you know great book title great cover great story obviously but one of the things we're also super jealous of is your blurbs on the abercrombie uh, age of madness mm. covers <laughs> we're big yeah, Abercrombie yeah. fans as well yes yeah, so when we saw that, we were like, oh, okay, this guy, we run in the same circles. And like, it's like, I can see the influence. Like, your books are very different, but I, I can see some of the comparisons. And like, there is this almost kind of drier, more kind of scathing, not afraid to be absurd humor that, that permeates throughout the books. Yeah. And is there. I wonder if there's any other influences beyond the humor that you you've drawn from Abercrombie and like what you think of the age of madness. We just started reading it as well. Dylan's read them all, but we just started reading yeah. them too. Yeah, no, I love them. I mean, age of madness. I got to read the first one early because my U S mm. editor is the same as his U S editor. Right. Yeah, and wow. so I got to, I got sent that book super early and I definitely, I never ever thought that I'd be able to like blurb it, obviously. Um, <laughs> And, but it, yeah, it was super cool. I loved it. And then I kept hearing between the first and the second book, I kept hearing people talk about how good his audiobook narrator is. Oh yeah. Oh, Stephen Pacey, Pacey is incredible. Phenomenal. So yeah. I listened to the second one on audiobook and I thought, yes. I'm not sure I'll ever read another one again. Like I'll, I'll buy them because I, I, I hear you. Them. <laughs> but oh my god he's good like, he's, he's just so amazing. good he narrated all of like the first law like sharp ends yeah. he, he does he does it all and it's so yeah, incredible he, like to hear him do glocka like when he changes the internal, the internal versus the external it's like yeah whoa. I, yeah so i i love those series love those books the second the next second one especially i thought was incredible the battle series mm -hmm. you ever read the second one yet yeah yeah I, well, i've started it, but... it i haven't okay, finished yeah. it but um yeah i finished the first one in, he does a thing in both books i think there's a couple scenes of it maybe in the second one and there's a chapter in each called the little people um yeah. where you just like skip from perspective to perspective to perspective like really quickly mm -hmm. and he's just like no one does what he does as far as like here's a character and i'll get one paragraph and you're like in them yeah his use of pov is insane like oh. he like the reading all his yeah. work from in publication order you can see him like experimenting with it and like there's chapters in the heroes that do stuff that's very similar it's just outrageous and he's continued to do that and it and it's such a interesting thing because when you read books like 
Game of Thrones, where the POV is like everything. It's very serious, and it's a whole chapter, and the title's just the character name. And then you juxtapose that against like Abercrombie, who's like, I'll just go through 20 in, a t- in, a, in, exactly. in five pages. Yeah. You're like, what? Can you do that? Is that allowed? <laughs> and to me, there is a lot of like, there's a lot of humor in his books without a lot of like uh, telling you that there's humor. Like mm. I find in a lot of books, mm. the characters will laugh at something like so-and-so laugh. And I'm like, what's funny? Like the person <laughs> just said, that's just not a, that's a It's like a laugh track. <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke. Um, you know, and they certainly don't laugh enough. I don't think like, all like i think in real life people laugh constantly you know so but yeah, yeah there's just you know it was like so-and-so laughed and it just yeah <laughs> but with joe abercrombie i don't think he really has that to me what i remember it's just like every character is infused with a bit of you know a bit of humor yeah there's um, not a lot of yeah. like good humor going on with the characters in the story it's just the yeah. way he writes is right. so absurd sometimes exactly. that's funny <laughs> they're not laughing at themselves but they're they're, no, they're miserable <laughs> yeah yeah but it's yeah. a twisted sense of humor yeah they're, and yeah. i'll yeah i'll say to nick that how i happened upon kings of the wild was years ago i was on reddit and i was i was doing the book bingo thing they do on there you, yeah. you see that everything yeah. i know you're uh, yeah so and there's a like recommended by reddit for you and i was much i was a lurker back then we weren't doing the podcast anything like that yeah. uh, and i made one of my first ever posts and i gave my taste and uh, it was the abercrombie uh, influence yeah. that had people telling me i put on like abercrombie lev grossman was on there i think i put nk jemison as well yeah. and uh, i got kings of the wild as a recommendation and i was almost prepping for some grimdark but something that i uh, when of course i read it that i appreciate so much is how uh, you managed to do you managed to do some of this like uh, amazing uh, humor laugh at the characters laugh with the characters as well but also the the tone is really hopeful and heartfelt so yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's one thing that makes it well you can see that abercrombie influence it makes it again like uniquely you and uh, yeah different. i mean and granted things like change a little bit with the second book but with that first one especially i wanted to make it like keep it fun above all else i take yeah. so much flack and i think you guys might even mention it actually um about someone saves his Sustaining a grievous injury to mm-hmm. we did we did way to keep the you know yes um and to me and, and and like years just you know i've heard it a million times people are like it should have just like not get it rectified but to me it's like it's worth it because moog um you know there's a joke about him redrawing a limb and moog makes a joke about like his hand smelling like starfish and to me, it, like it's worth it for that <laughs> joke alone. Um, I don't care about consequences. Like, yeah, obviously, right. I want the intention, but I like honestly, the jokes and the funniness come first to me, at least in that kind mm. of thing. And so, if I could get a couple of good jokes out of it, which I thought I did in the airship with Timax, like, yeah, you know, um, I thought, yeah, to me, it's yeah, like, like the whole. Uh, I was about to drop a spoiler, but the the like the pun you played on Clay's nickname at that moment was yes. funny and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. it's hard not to spoil it at this point. And I don't even think it's that big a spoiler, really. No. Context of it. Right. But, uh, but to me, I would just, I, if I couldn't get some jokes out of it, I wouldn't even have the event have happened. So it's just like, 
I did it so I could get some jokes. Right. And I think that's where we landed too. Cause like we've been so conditioned with all this grim dark and stuff. That's like everything has to have consequences. People have to be miserable. Like they have to sustain horrible injuries and be miserable and be in pain. But it's like, well, the caveat of like, that's not what this book is, is like, it's not important to what's happening. You know, it's just something that happened and is fun. Yeah. And, and I I think we started to come around on that because like, I'm not saying that that needed to happen. It's just like funny how after reading so many books where the realism in like these people suffering is a core part of the book. It's to read something Mm -hmm. that I think we also said is like just unabashedly fun and itself. Um, you, you, that's not you don't need that it's not like a criticism it's not like yeah. a demerit and, and it's not when i'm like you know if someone criticizes that i'm not like oh you're stupid because it's <laughs> fair it's a fair thing mm-hmm. uh, i too am conditioned that way in books and and sometimes prefer it you know but there's a thousand books where someone loses a limb and never gets it back <laughs> right and that larger perspective of commitment to the humor and the jokes uh, we would not want you to have lost that. So coming yeah. in through that frame, I think even if it gave one moment that a lot of people end up being uh, frustrated or annoyed or whatever by, it's like, well, you wouldn't want Nick to be approaching this book differently than that. And in fact, yeah. the reason you're like passionate about it is because you really, really enjoyed the book and were invested in the characters. Yeah. And well, not everything's going to work for everybody. So yeah, I just got to hope you hit most yeah. of the time. Right. That said, people be dying in bloody rose so <laughs> yeah well so that's a great segue yeah what yeah. was it like like kings of the wild was like we said kind of like your baby you'd been working on it for a long time what was it like like doing all of that and then all of a sudden great now time to start book two <laughs> is there yeah. some part of you that's like that was like my life's work and now you want me to do a second one like turn around a second one <laughs> well i think kings of the wild i, I wrote it it came out pretty quickly and pretty easily that um yeah, I was like, oh, here we go again. But Bloody Heart was out, or Bloody Rose is obviously a lot harder to write and, mm. and it was even worse. But with Bloody Rose, like I, I was writing it in the thick of it right when Kings of the Wild came out. Mm-hmm. And you definitely like it just definitely kind of fucks with you when you see people's like reviews of it or expectations mm, for the I'm second sure. one. Or um, and sometimes like, you know, especially when a book it sounds like stupid to say, but if it's doing really well you're like, oh, now this one has to be as good or, you know, um, and even the fact like the second book, you know, I never wanted to like Kings of the Wild is a self-contained story. The whole point of it and what makes it to me, at least so special is that it's those people's last adventure, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they, yes, they're going to get, they're going to get dragged into the drama in future books, but not, they're not the center of it. And so going into the second book my even my editor knew the warrior and she's like you know people aren't going to like that it's not about these guys anymore and i'm like 100 mm. percent, you know like but you just can't yeah. to make that story special you can't tell it again you right. just can't yeah um and and although you know and the same thing i say this all the time too like i for me like i think that bloody rose is a far better book as mm. far as how it's written how deep the characters are because Kings of the Wild, I think a lot of the ease of that book and why you know people can relate to it so well is because the characters are, are very like they are archetypes mm-hmm. and yeah, they're very typical to what we've read in fantasy before. Um, and especially for a, for a lot of fantasy readers, are kind of older, older, not always older people, but you know, they they kind of like they they can relate to Clay so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so when you write a book that's not about like a middle aged white guy, it's a lot more difficult. Um, and so 
Kings of the Wild will always be to me like the best hook, you know, right. getting them back together. Yeah. Old guys. It makes it inherently funny because it just simply is inherently funny. The idea that they're old. So writing a book yeah. that was a younger band, it's a lot more difficult to make it funny. Um, and especially because you're I'm moving into like the eighties. So the, the books are very much defined by like the music of that era. So the eighties mm-hmm. or the seventies book got to be like rambling and whimsical and, Mm. And the eighties book has to be a bit more like hardcore, like go, 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 go. Um, they, those, you know, those eighties yeah. like Motley Crue, like guns and roses were, you know, crazily self-destructive. They're trying to be like, look at mm. us. We're bigger and better than these bands that came before us. Right. And they just right. like, you know, so hard. And, hmm. um, and then even, you know, if you, if you had toured with Led Zeppelin, you'd probably really like Led Zeppelin. You'd really get along with them. And what nice guys mm. always drink tea after this, or we drank little whiskey sometimes, but yeah. if you toured with Guns N' Roses, you'd get off tour and you'd be like, <laughs> Those fucking guys, <laughs> and like Seattle Rose again. So it's hard to make you know. I'm and Rose is literally named for Axel Rose. So it's like you're trying mm. to make her somewhat likable and relatable as not the main character, but as the main, the you know the titular character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you can't sacrifice, to me at least, you can't sacrifice the idea that you shouldn't necessarily like her as a mm. she should be abrasive somewhat. Right, um, but, she's got yeah. a bit of be a bit of an ass like uh, Axel is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it's also a pretty classic classic music story too because it's the whole like like almost famous. It's like it takes the perspective yeah. of the bard going on the road with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's no, it's not as um, you know huge as like the getting the band back together thing. But you know the rock rock journalist on the road the road with her band is pretty. It's a pretty classic story too. So. I'm I'm looking forward to reading it, and then the third book as well. You said it moves into the '90s. You've mentioned is that accurate? Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. So I know of, Dylan loves some '90s bands, right, Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> County Crows is a big one for me. I don't know if they'll make any appearance or any sort of. Uh, they were huge though. That was they were one of the biggest bands well, out yeah, there during that time. My August and everything after was it was like number, which is an interesting thing. It was number two on the charts for yeah. like a preposterous amount of time and stuff kept jumping over it. But yeah, yeah huge. Yeah, I think there's maybe one Counting Crows song on the playlist at the moment. Yes. I'm not feeling it's long December. Um, oh, yes. There's no hooting in the blowfish, so I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I see that's like a big thing for me is that Counting Crows gets lumped in with a lot of, they, they're a lot deeper. Like, yeah. uh, Adam Dirtz is an incredible <laughs> writer. He went to Berkeley. As a, Charles knows I'm going to get going too much on this, but it, it's, uh, it, yeah. So then they get lumped in with some of these other bands. It's like Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. I only want to be with you. It doesn't have that same depth. Um, but Long December is one of my favorites. Fantastic choice. And went recovering the satellites instead of August and everything after that, which is yeah. a little bit of a deeper cut. Yeah. Well, it just depends on kind of the themes you're going for. And a lot, there's a lot of groups and bands on there that are listening to that I wouldn't have thought originally that would pay, play such a big influence. But the more you get into it, same with 70s music and the same with 80s, um, you hear a lot of things you didn't hear before. And so a lot of it is kind of a similar theme, whether it's different genres, but like, uh nirvana rage against the machine yeah. like nwa nas like they're all they're all like pissed off kind of about the state of society yeah in their own way and they're all dealing with it in their mm. own way so um 
you know, like as a teenager, I listened to Rage Against the Machine and I didn't, I didn't like really connect with them because I was, you know, a pretty privileged, privileged little kid. And I was like, why would you, you know, hate the police? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> mm. our yeah. Nowadays, I'm like, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, right. Make a good case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. So, sounds like this third one has a chance to be, uh, I guess, both intra- introspective in some ways and angsty in some ways. Like, yeah, I hope so. It's, I think it's to be a harder thing to make funnier because mm. of the subject matter and the music, it leaves less room for that. Um, but ultimately it'll just be a matter of trying to find that middle ground between, you know, take your influences from the music, but then ultimately just tell the, story, the character story. And you don't necessarily, I don't have to tie it to the real world so drastically, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, just tell the evolution of, I'm trying to tell the evolution of like these characters and their world. Um, so That's interesting. Right. And then, you know, there's another thing that you have mentioned in the past that Dylan and I want to just say, we support 100% if it ever happens, but you were talking mm. about a short story collection uh, mm. called The Bards. Is is that yes. something that is still in the back of your mind I, as a that's, maybe that's one a day? Patrick interview. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like it's, it, it's hard to like write prequels just because all you're going to do is either meet or dash someone's expectations, you know, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to exceed them. You know, I can't imagine going, someone going, Whoa, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so, but maybe it'll happen in like smaller forms, but that's something like Joe Abercrombie's sharp ends, you know, he had written yes. more short stories and then was like, okay, I've got enough to put into a book. So we'll right. see. I'd almost rather write something like either it's just like spin-off stories of smaller characters. Like I've always kind of wanted to write like a, a laugh leaf story, like something mm-hmm. from his uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. where you kind of find Flush out, out book, yeah that he is like you know to those to the army he was leading he was like this fabled folk hero like oh my god right. we have a champion finally like we're gonna do this and then everything goes wrong yeah he himself was struggling with like you know trying to you know there's there's you know quote-unquote monsters in his army that like have families and names and things like mm. that but like, also things that just want to wreck shit Right. And so how do you keep that right. kind of, how do you keep that army together long enough? To right. Be yeah, because there's a lot of opportunity when you go into Laughsley's perspective to build a lot of sympathy for him that I think Kings of the Wild is like he's the bad guy. But when you think about his story, it's like, well, his dad gave his prized sword to some stranger instead of him, yeah. and then right. his mom's dead, and like he's trying to save all these monsters who yeah. just because they're creatures doesn't necessarily mean they're evil. Like you said, they yeah. have families and stuff, some of them. So it's like that's a lot of weight to put on your shoulders. And yeah, there's a lot of like sympathy points he could earn from yeah. uh, having his own perspective. Yeah, that'd be cool. pretty cool. So, and then you'll see with Bloody Rose is a lot of like the main band members of the band called Fable and Bloody Rose. Um, I'd really kind of maybe like to explore some of their origins because mm. kind of like Analon's nice. into that. Um, there's a character named Cura, especially who's named for the cure. Um, and her kind mm. of deal is that she's got, she's covered in these tattoos that, and every tattoo on her is like a past trauma that she's dealt with by putting a tattoo on her. And then during battle, she can like scream its name and it rips off her flesh and like fights on her behalf. Wow. Um, And 
you know, that's interesting. And every time you see another one, you're like, well, what the fuck? Like there's one <laughs> on her back. It's like this giant tree. And when it cl- crawls out of her, it like bursts into flame. And you're like, how did a burning tree hurt you? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I tried to like, and I have no idea either. I have like an idea. <laughs> idea. But you know, a lot of, especially near the end, I'm mentioning a few more of her tattoos and I'm just like, well, these are some, I'd love to write stories that how these came to pass. One of them mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be super cool. It, it, it sounds like you're creating just a really awesome, like, world environment and that can foster all kinds of cool stories because it's, it's open, yeah. yeah it's open and you can go through any point of music history or any kind of genre or whatever like dylan and i love to compare notes on uh, the beatles and their story and like you know we have our own theories about what paul is like uh, when the cameras are off and stuff like, that. like we're just so fascinated it through when the cameras are on too <laughs> Which, by the way, the Moog synthesizer uh, did get a mention in that Paul McCartney yeah. documentary. Yeah, so I was excited about that. Yeah, right and, when we were reading uh, Kings of the yeah. Wild, that documentary comes out and it's like all these, <laughs> these worlds colliding for us. It was very funny. Yeah. But we always thought like there's a there's like a fantasy parallel story in there somewhere. <laughs> Because they're they're just too fascinating, but yeah, it's again like you all all these possibilities, which is super fascinating. And I I guess I was just wondering, like you have the band series, which you're in the like it seems like is kind of taking over everything. Do you have like projects, ideas, things to go on, or like do you have more? Like, are you going to work on the band series for a bit longer? Or are you looking on for new projects? Um, well, this, the next book, Outlaw Empire, will definitely be the last in the band series for now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it does, I have had like maybe one possible more idea for a book after that, but, uh, but it definitely tells quite like an arc, even though there are separate stories, it does tell an arc. Um, it does change the world like irrevocably after it's done. Like if, say, if you were going to set like a, you know, a D&D campaign setting, you'd have to kind of choose which era you wanted it set in, because the world of the first book is different from the world of the second book, you know, like mm, yeah. the first book, you know, or at least if, if you said it in like the age of saga, there would be no arenas, there would be monsters literally mm. everywhere attacking every town all the time. Mm. And then you said it in Bloody Rose and it's like, not so much. Now there's arenas. Uh, mm. And then if you said it in the third book, it's just drastically, drastically different. So, mm. um, but yeah, it, so there, there is kind of like a, an ending to this one. Um, and then I think I'd like, like like to write something different. I've got a few different ideas doing. Some of them are for like standalone books, which I think maybe it's hard to get published standalone books these days, but we'll see. Uh, um, but I definitely have w- one idea that I think is a bit more promising than all the others, others that's pretty exciting. And mm-hmm. I'd also love to like write for, like you said, I'm a huge gamer. Uh, I love to write for video games or something like that. And um, that'd be so cool. Yeah, would be cool. Yeah. And I'm also like, I've gotten a few like, people asking or like publishers interested in doing some sort of like graphic novel not necessarily of the band mm-hmm. but just in general and I, I i love graphic novels for years now mm-hmm. ever since i start, started getting those probing things um, i don't want to commit to any of them before i get more done on this book mm-hmm. but i you know it looks like the opportunity is there so i definitely love to take it and wow mm-hmm. pretty Heck. cool yeah. You're well on your way to multimedia phenomenon over here. <laughs> you're talking about video games. You're talking about graphic novels. Of course, more books, uh, maybe some role-playing stuff. Uh, yeah. I know you're a big yeah. D&D guy. That yeah. would be really cool, yeah, we'll too. See. I'd, I'd definitely love to write 
like yeah graphic novels and video games for sure that's yeah. that's amazing yeah i'm amazing. i'm super looking forward to reading the rest of the band series and then seeing where you go after that i i'm like so so fascinated and yeah we're we're we have dabbled in the world of graphic novels we're big fans you know saga coincidentally is one of our favorite like works of fiction hard stop and then we read monstrous on the show uh, at the beginning of the year and we love that as well so we're getting into it we're getting into it yeah well there's i mean yeah there's so many great ones out there um i'm still not all the way through monstrous because it's so like dense yeah uh, yeah but i love it and it's gorgeous um and then there's one that i've been reading just recently came out that the the um the author got in contact with me beforehand and like sent it to me early because he's like i read kings of the wild and was inspired by that oh, wow um, cool. and so it's a comic called barbaric um Barbar- uh-huh. comics. yeah you should check it out it, i think there's only three the third episode third issue just came out um but i loved it like it's it's about a barbarian who's um He's cursed to always, he can never say no to people in need. And he's got an ax that like talks <laughs> like a bloodthirsty murderer. Like the ax wants to kill everything all the time. Oh, wow. Um, and it's really, really, really good. It's funny. It's beautifully drawn. It's it's fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check I that love out. Characters Dylan. like Barbaric. that pulled in opposite directions constantly and trying to figure out how to be a decent person yeah, and all of so it. So far, it's, just, it's hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, we're, we're approaching the hour, but before we wrap things up, you know, we had, again, the, the privilege of talking with Christian Cameron, who who uh, spoke very highly of you as well. And I know you've mentioned mm-hmm. him in, in other interviews. And yeah. he... He was talking about your interest in D&D, and he always thought you would make a good bard character. Do you feel typecasted <laughs> as the bard? <laughs> no, no, I think I would make a good bard character as well. Yeah, we think so, too. <laughs> we agree. <laughs> That's what we would choose yeah. for you. <laughs> I've actually briefly played a role-playing game with Christian. He, had, he hosts one at his house, um, and he was doing one that was set in oh, the world awesome. of his Masters and Mages series. Oh. Um, I, I just finished, and I absolutely love um and he he, but he had like he built like the whole town like these medieval of course he did of course (laughs) yeah and uh and let me tell you i damn near got killed because i'm used to like this you know do stuff and i like i ran into a building with you know guns ablaze and i was immediately shot several times i think i managed by the you know skin of my teeth and i dragged myself out i I learned some laughs he's he writes books that are a bit more realistic than mine so yeah that that guy's uh it doesn't surprise us at all that he like made the whole board and everything that that feels very, very much in the spirit of christian yeah. cameron but yeah i know he's an incredible human being i met him a couple of years ago at yeah. a conference in toronto and just he's he's a, obviously a wonderful friend and a pretty huge like you know influence like i there's so many authors out there that mm. you know, even like myself that kind of struggle with you know, managing their time and managing people's expectations and things like that. And he has none of that. He just like goes to work, writes those so books. So prolific. So prolific. And then outside of that, he has so many hobbies. He's got time for his family. Yes. Like he's amazing, amazing at managing his whole life uh, and yet just being so professional. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. He's great. 
I, I'm imagining all these secret author meetings between you, Christian Cameron, Sebastian, <laughs> Evan Winter. Do these things happen? Do you like put the hooded cloak on? He's brushing the and... dust off the tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you put the hooded cloaks? But uh, I, did, I did a while ago. I got to go to dinner with Sebastian and Christian, which was pretty cool for me. Wow, um, it's like full circle from when you were <laughs> wow, waiting on yeah, dinner. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, um, yeah, they recently, they invited me, they have a, they do have a meeting like every Friday, kind of to hang out I knew it. <laughs> with other offers as well. Um, and I rarely go just cause I don't like, I'm either busy during that time of day and I don't always like, you know, talking to people constantly. <laughs> sure. Um, so I feel bad about missing it, but, uh, but yeah, it's always great to see them. And yeah, both of them, both Christian and Sebastian have become really, really good friends of mine. So. So I, nice. I recommend getting the the robes, you know, and having like the ceremony and all that, you know. <laughs> I know. We've got candles in front of our faces. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some some Latin <laughs> phrases, you know, to start off the meetings. Yeah. That would be cool. But oh man, uh, Dylan, is there anything else we we should ask Nick while he's here? I mean, we're, it's just so crazy that we're 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 talking to you. We're super appreciative that you took the time to oh, to pleasure. reach out. It's like I get you mentioned like advocating for yourself at the beginning, and we were like, oh, he just put this tweet about us. You think we can just email him? It's like, well, let's see what happens. And oh, like course. the, yeah, the yeah. fact that you reached out was was super incredible for us. So this is a big yeah. deal for I the think, show. I think so. you'd be surprised how many authors would, would absolutely love to do a podcast. Like if you're ever kind of worried about it, mm. I think, especially with the state of publishing these days, mm. um, you know, outside of maybe someone like Brandon Sanderson who hasn't got the time and probably wouldn't even see an email. I don't know what his <laughs> life is yeah. like. But, yeah. um, you know, everyone needs to, you know, Publishing has changed so much that even people I think that were popular in the 2000, you know, would, you know, would love to get more publicity now just because, you know, things moving on from grimdark. So yeah, reach sure. out to whoever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys get some, a lot of, a lot of bites on that. Well, you are definitely, Thanks, a, you are right. definitely a whale for us. So we're super appreciative <laughs> that you came on here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, unbelievably grateful. It's uh, it's a dream come true for us because this is, I mean, literally, I I read Kings of the Wild well before we even th like thought we'd ever do a podcast yeah. or anything like that, and it's like surreal to be on a Zoom call talking to you, and you're you're such a good guy, so nice, and so <laughs> yeah, it's like it's really really cool, and we're just like so grateful yeah. for you coming on uh, i appreciate it yeah thanks <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, oh yeah of course the, <laughs> the only last thing i could think to ask you nick i think we asked you so much you've been so generous with your time uh, where is the best place for folks to find you out there on the internet of we know you got twitter and all that yeah i would say you. probably probably twitter i'm not as active as i kind of used to be on there but i'm still on uh, still on there instagram i'm relatively active on i share a lot of like books that not necessarily that i've read but like like you know buy new books or buy new comics all the time and i'll always make sure to like showcase them on there um and yeah, if you want the occasional picture of my cat, I'm on Facebook, but I'm probably not going to be on Facebook for much longer. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like that's. I, feel like I, I just got off there too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I saw your new shades on Instagram yeah. recently. So cool. well, this is my first non-glasses interview in probably I don't know forever. So We're I've, had, I've had glasses just for years and years and years. So I finally took the plunge and got myself some contacts again. 
what a shame yeah. that this is an audio only format too. Oh yeah, you can't it's even it's show it off. <laughs> can't see these baby blues. <laughs> I know. Well, l- dear listeners, just know that you know it's a yeah. very special moment for us <laughs> yeah. over this Zoom. Remarkably handsome man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All three of us really are just—it's just ridiculous. Oh, well, now you're, you're just oh, buttering Nick, us up. You're too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've always said we've had faces for podcasting so <laughs> if only we had voices for it yeah it's true <laughs> but oh god guys nicholas eames check him out on twitter and instagram and check out kings of the wild the first book of the band series and then bloody rose is out as well third book coming yeah. And so many other great things are in the corner. Potentially some sort of film option. We'll see how it goes. Potentially a comic book. Potentially video game. You know what? It's all happening. But get on the ground floor of it now, for sure. I mean, it's yes. hard to think of like this is the ground floor considering the band series is taken off. But winning awards, we're not since in the basement Yeah, we're not in the basement yeah. anymore. It's only the beginning, guys. So be sure you, we're we're gonna pick up Bloody Rose in the very near future. Looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, but Nick, thank you so much for your time. And I, I, we could talk forever about our music preferences. I know Dylan has a lot of Final Fantasy takes. He could have a whole nother hour to talk to you about that. But uh, I, I, I think for now we've said we've said enough. We've done enough. And just Nick, thank you so so much for for coming on. My pleasure, my pleasure. Well, thank you again for having me. And yeah, if you're ever in hard up for another guest, you hit me up. Oh, doors we'll always take, open. We'll Nick. take you doors up on that, Nick. Open. <laughs> Thanks again. Right. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure we'll pull you in in the near future. It, like, be careful uh, what you offer because <laughs> we will definitely take you up on it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Check out Nicholas Eames. Google them and follow all the stuff, buy all the things. And uh, thank you so much for listening. That's the biggest thing. And uh, as always, guys, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>